Hello everyone and welcome to Midweek Metagame PT Lord of the Rings Edition. I'm your host, Gabriel Nassif, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Hello everyone. And Canister. Hi. Well, well, well. Another Pro Tour, another top eight for Javier Dominguez and Simon Nielsen. Another top 16 for me, not so bad. And yeah, it was, it was a big weekend of magic. I was playing in the Pro Tour, Canister was playing some side events in the mix too. So we have tons of moderns to talk about, no secret this time. We reveal all. Um, apparently it's cringe to like high tech. I caught Canister just bad mouthing me the day after we recorded the podcast on his <laughs> on his stream. That's that's always nice. Um, but yeah, before we get into all the action, we have a Patreon, Patreon slash midweek metagame. If you want to support us, that's cool. If not, we do it for the love the love of the game. And um, yeah, I mean. Who wants to who wants to to lead the way? Pat, you're watching from home. What what was what was it like? I thought the coverage was excellent. I, I actually got to watch a fair amount of it. We had it on on the TV in the living room a lot, and Teddy didn't complain too loudly. So I got to watch a fair bit. I was pretty impressed with the coverage. It was lovely to see old mate Riley Knight uh, back in the booth, and I think Cedric Phillips was a great addition to the team. I just really feel like a, it was a slick slick bit of production. I love this kind of commitment to pre-recording multiple matches and just not having any downtime. I thought they got a good balance of comment, uh, the play-by-play and uh, I guess a color commentator kind of combinations. And it was just ex- exciting to see this format that I'd spend a fair bit of time preparing for, or at least at least you know contributing somewhat to the preparation for for your team, Gab, and. Yeah, it was just nice to see what people, other people have brought to the table and just essentially just watch Modern on the big stage again for the first time since, I would say, 2019. Is that about right? The last PT Barcelona was, was 2019, exactly. And I think that was the, la- the last... The la- no, 19, 19. That was yeah. the, the Hogak one. And I think that was right, the last London, right? Modern PT. No, no, no. There was, a mo- there was a London one, which was pre-MH1. That's right. Pre War of the Spark, even, and there was the Barcelona one, which was the Hogak PT, which was won by Thorolf uh, on Tron. That's right. Yes, right. Of course, and that's kind of the story of the weekend again, Tron. So, one of these sort of things where Tron has kind of been a figure, a, a staple in in modern from the, essentially the inception of the format, and people, you know. Tend to badmouth it, you know, skillless deck, but come PT time, it's this is two PTs in a row where it's done really well, put a lot of a lot of people in the top eight and having good finishes, and there's a big share of the metagame in this tournament. It's ten percent if that if I remember correctly. Yeah, ten percent. I think it was Ragdo Scam at one and then Omnaf at two and then Tron. And maybe Rhinos kind of tied with Tron at ten percent. Uh, there was more rhinos than there was Tron for sure. It was in the third place after Omnav. There was just only one less rhinos deck. Then there were the Omnav decks, and then Tron was, I think, right after. That's if you uh, bundle all the the, the team and the four color rhinos in together, yeah, right? Yeah, as I think you should, right? So makes sense yeah, to I me. Agree. Yeah. 
So, I guess last episode we were playing our cards relatively close to the chest, or at least one person on the podcast was playing their cards very, relatively close to the chest, and then got really antsy that we might have spilled the beans on some hot tech and didn't want to upload the episode immediately. I'm not going to name any names, but it certainly wasn't Canister, and I have absolutely no skin in the game. So you can try and figure it out for yourself. Anyway, I'll, I actually had some feedback on our last episode that uh, aired just after Dex admission. Uh, it was titled A Comprehensive View of Modern, and we spent about 90 minutes talking about blue-black control, which, uh, you know, you know, was a, a nice in-depth deep dive, but ultimately that wound up, that deck that was kind of the, essentially the breakout deck a week before the Pro Tour didn't really make that, that big of an impact. So, Gab, why don't you talk us through the kind of the last week of before deck, deck submission was due? Yeah, so we were liking the deck at first. It was good in leagues. It seemed... Um, interesting and when we started playing it in-house it just kind of fell apart it was just not doing well it had really low win rate so we actually dismissed it pretty fast and I was actually you know telling my teammates you know once in a while someone would be oh I want to play a set against blue black and I would be like I think that's a waste of time like I think that deck's bad I think anyone who plays that deck seriously and Tessa is going to realize it's not very good. And I guess we were mostly right. Blue Black Control had a bad win rate. It took, you know, your wizard friend from Down Under to actually have a good record. Matt Anderson, he made a big change though. He cut Soren's Ransom for Archmage Charm. That was the biggest change he made. And it was funny because at some point in testing, I can't remember if it was Spike or Jim Davis, someone was playing the Blue Black deck and they were playing Soren Ransom, but they had Archmage Charm as a proxy for Ransom. And whoever was playing the deck, I remember saying like, man, I really wish these Soren's Ransom would just be Archmage Charm. It would be so much better for me. So yeah, it's kind of funny and I guess kind of story checks out, you know. Um, I think there was another player who came in 25th was, you know, the kind of more stockish list we were seeing online with Soren's Ransom and no charm, but uh, yeah. That, that didn't work out for the few, uh, for most people who played that blue-black deck. The blue-black deck was actually what I have chosen to play my events. Like, as you said, I have played the side events, Secret Lair, Showdowns, and I played a total of three of them, and I chosen to play blue-black after speaking kind of, being kind of lukewarm about it during our last episode. <clears throat> but I think what you, are, like the picture that you are painting here actually makes sense. It does. Uh, it did appear to me like uh, blue black is a deck that uh, becomes worse, like the better the opposition gets, and uh, just kind of kind of drops off pretty significantly after a certain point. It's like uh, like my view of it has uh, grown when I have realized that while blue white ring, for example, which I was liking last episode is a better control deck is better at being a control deck uh, blue black is more often playing kind of like a tempo deck and you just actually win with uh, your creatures that deal damage and you just barely barely get there with your forces etc uh, but it, it is a strategy that's like it requires things to to go right and for your opponent not to 
get you at any point so it's always kind of kind of risky so i'm not really surprised that the deck had like a slightly below optimal win rate at the actual pt yeah yeah the the blue white control same i don't think we even really tried i was we got to the house and i loaded up your stream at some point and you're i think you were oh three in a challenge with the deck so i was like okay yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. I don't want you to lose, but also it, it kind of confirmed me in my opinion that the deck was probably not great, even though it's small sample, yada, yada. So, so I contributed uh, what, what into you your result. Sorry? I contributed for to your pretty decent result at the tournament, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, what do you think of that deck right now? Did you end up playing it in one of the side events? or? No, no, no. I just played blue-black in all of the in all the secret showdowns instead of blue white right. i spent a little bit at the in barcelona playing against yendrek and it just time and time we see that like decks that tend to be more proactive seem seemingly are just better and uh, decks that are too passive seemingly time and time again just get pretty poor win rates overall at the pt and i think that was also the case at this PT. If we actually look at the deck lists in the top eight, then we see three free Tron decks, three Rhino decks, one Amulet, one uh, so-called Ragdos Evoke deck. Uh, Ragdos so, Evoke, the unknown breakout deck of the tournament. Yeah, exactly. With a metagame percentage of twenty percent. You know, you, you know, you can't see, you, you can't call the a deck in in the game that you're selling cards for a scam i guess if you if you're trying to sell it to people so it does make sense that they went with that name it's actually it's one of the less egregious name modifications of that they make for coverage purposes i think at least it still conveys the kind of the, the feeling of the deck yeah yeah but we see like the proactive decks just overall kind of succeeding more often than than the passive controlling ones the same same thing happened with Focolor Omnath at the tournament also had a poor win rate just makes sense it just flopped a little bit yeah. because it just always going to play a long game and it's just open to getting you know to losing both early and late and <laughs> yeah it does it can't really that's the worst possible it, thing yeah, <laughs> yeah. While, while it can't really win early so it just it just is like that yeah so I guess we should probably, you know, give some props to the winner of the tournament, Jake Beardsley, winning with Rakdos Scam. Uh, pretty exciting. This guy's first Pro Tour, is that right? Yeah, very first Pro Tour. He's been playing for a while, but yeah. he was competing in his first PT and he won it all. He played, for the most part, really well. He actually beat me in, in round 14, too. Um, should right. we mention that he subscribes to my... Uh, <laughs> yeah we should. we should he also follows me on twitter which is why i'm giving a shout out <laughs> he probably listens to this podcast so congratulations jake well done it was actually very exciting to watch you watch you do it all and he beat calcano in the finals christian calcano in his second pro tour top eight which was i i would i would guess calc is probably like going into that going into that top eight was probably the kind of the people's champion he's you know pretty well liked and respected and he's been around for a million years and honestly the way he did you couldn't wipe the, the grin off his face all top eight. It was fantastic to watch, really. There's some good showmanship from him. Fantastic clip of him flipping Ulamog over to his opponent when he uh, thought seizing with Dothy Voidwalker in play. 
yeah, it's going to go down in history. I think of one of the one of the kind of great great coverage moments. That's sweet. Yes, yeah, stack top eight. Javier made back to back top eight. Simon Nielsen back to back top eight. Kai, Kai is back. Oh, he's back. The juggernaut, baby. He actually he he's had some results during the arena arena era, right? But he was rivals. Um, so I guess maybe he was never really gone in the first place. But pretty sick. Just when wasn't there some article too, just before the PT, something about Nathan Stoyer and Kai, and I don't know what what it was about exactly. But it had something to do with streaks and at what point can like how much more winning does Nathan have to do to to kind of um you know not nothing against Nathan he's you know amazing probably one of the best or the best player in the world still right now but it's funny of the the timing that that, that article someone writes about that and then kind of casually top it's another top eight if you listen to him to he he barely even got lucky at any point it was Despite never had Jensen Cavern on zero. <laughs> yeah. Just, Sorry, any, anyone in the anyone in the Discord he, is just the guy complain about his bad misfortune all game. Yeah, he, all, he, all it, he basically top hated the PTO's free legendary wastes in his deck. <laughs> and two questing beasts. But yeah. Which we which you can't yeah. forget. Arguably worse. Yeah, and then the two the two Italian players as well. So props to them. You know, Italy is that ups and downs as an MTG nation and I'm sure they were like obviously really thrilled to have two other players in the top eight so yeah that was, I, it was I, super sweet top eight yeah I, I get from, just from the outside looking in a coverage perspective it was really great to see kind of old familiar archetypes old familiar cards old familiar faces and just just high quality coverage the entire weekend I was just really impressed it looked like the venue was stinking hot though everyone had their sleeves rolled up and no jackets anywhere on coverage is that is that is that true is this pretty pretty unbearable there no not at all it was fine there's a bit of ac and okay you know i, I wasn't hot most of the weekend i mean some people actually had heat stroke maclin sauce that's right actually yeah. had to exit the tournament at round five i think someone had to take him to the hospital so i guess it was it was hot but he is a frail englishman and he said i talked to him he's like i've traveled for southeast asia you know he's not Never, I don't think he's ever had a heat stroke before. Just right, you know, okay. Apparently, the AC broke down in his hotel room, so he was kind of maybe hot all night, and it just yeah, it just um, builds up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right, it, it is pretty anyway. hot during the night in Barcelona. Like, I guess that's a little bit tiring if you yeah. happen not to have access to AC during the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're 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 diverting from magic, magic, true magic content, and yeah. complaining about the weather. So yeah, stack top eight. We haven't even mentioned Dom Harvey at all, who top eighted with old faithful amulet amulet titan, which sixty one think... cards amulet titan. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we, since we've got a resident amulet titan aficionado on the cast now, we can offici- we can spend more time talking about that deck. Oh, it's been so, it's been you know a while since I really was involved heavily with amulets, but it is pretty nice to see that uh, a person that got just you know, plays the deck so much and gets uh, so into the deep details of it, gets rewarded with uh, a nice finish. This is pretty pretty and impressive it, from Dom. Yeah. And not a deck that's seen in much much play, like, you know, on the online, through the online kind of premier events leading up to this tournament, but really, really well positioned for the winner's metagame playing against Tron. 
Yeah, the biggest the... thing for amulet is that I think the the evoke or the scam decks depends on how you want to call them actually began to reduce the amount of blood moons that they are playing, especially main deck, which I think was a pretty big gain for uh, for amulet. But yeah, <clears throat> all of the other decks in the format they have like either generous ends to fetch their forests or Lorien reveal to fetch their islands, or they just don't care too much about blood moon. To begin with, or you're playing a mirror match with with Rakdos, then you don't really want Blood Moon either, right? Because it's just such a poor card in the mirror. And then Amulet uh, greatly benefits from not having to lose to to Manic Blood Moons every now and then. So certainly nice positioning in that sense. So anyway, we haven't really, I guess, talked about Gab's tournament in, in its entirety. Gab, you played Living End in the end. What led you to settle on Living End as a deck? We just couldn't figure out anything that was great. We were happy with our limited prep. I did a bunch of drafts before getting to the house and then did some more there. Checked out the 17 lands data. We had our team meeting. That's always the most useful part of our testing when we get together, talk about pretty much every card in the set. And for Constructed, yeah. Um, you know, we got there Saturday before the PT. Spike was pretty high on his mono black no coffers list. Kind of a this, this is something that I don't of... don't get, like because I have zero experience with that deck. I only hear about it and I just don't understand. Mono black no coffers, how is that like possibly a deck you would want to play in the modern format? It's just more consistent mana base. It is a bit like the scam deck. You have Thoughtseize, Grief. Malakir Rebirth, Voidwalker. You get to play for Sign In Bloods, which seem kind of nice. <laughs> that's is, that a that's a convincing argument, yes. <laughs> um, I think Spike was just pretty high on Witch's Cottage, putting back <laughs> Again, is that a perk? I, I sorry. So this so Witch's Cottage is like the Lowen not uh, the Eldrain land, like the equivalent of Mystic Sanctuary, is that right? For creatures? Yeah, it's the one where it triggers if you have three or more swarm it comes into play so you can fetch for it and it puts right. the creature back on top which is really strong against uh scam yeah a pretty good combo with dorothy Voidworker as well yeah that yeah. card's been that card's been you know, rising in my estimates and out of the scam deck it's like the the card i at least want to see on turn two uh much more than them having mana up for bowmaster or anything like that yeah so I, I I thought that deck was kind of good, but then I think we played a bunch of games against Yogg and it didn't go so well. Spike was also liking Omnath with Force of Negation and Lorien Revealed, but mm -hmm. Omnath was doing decent in our testing as far as numbers go. I think people were not super on it and people were also a little worried about the time constraints playing Omnath. Um, some, you know, we ended up playing five different decks. I played Living mm -hmm. End. I almost played Team of Rhinos. I kind of wanted to play Rhinos. It sounded good to me. And I think they got to a good list. Team of Rhinos was, I think they were winning us archetype out of decks that were, you know, widely represented. Yeah, that sounds and about right. That led, let's say, over, uh, over 100 matches played. Um, so a few people on our team played that. Kai played it. We... We, we had Questing Beast in the main and Dismember. I was not loving Fury and I was kind of pushing for Dismember. I thought it was 
mostly better against Yogg. We we were a little off. We had I think I had thought Yogg was maybe the best deck for a while, but it didn't do well. A third of my team played the deck. They didn't do especially well. So that was kind of a miss on us. We we kind of had the data telling us Yogg was not great in our testing, but people yeah. kind of talked themselves. I mean, it, it was maybe not the biggest mistake, but... Did you have uh, Tron players amongst your team? I'm not sure if we had people who've played a lot of Tron. I think maybe Jim Davis. We actually got the the list, Alex Haynes' list, because he was getting his cards from Sam Party, who's on our team. And I think the Tuesday... <laughs> So like a day before decklist submission, we built a couple of copies of Tron and we played some games and people didn't really like it. It was a small sample. I actually had a good set was living in against Tron. I went 1-1 one, one free board, 5-1 post board. So that made me feel good. Basically, yeah, I saw that a few days before decklist submission, we didn't have a front runner, clear front runner. So I just took on all challengers with living in. Played a bit of each matchup, didn't really have a losing set. It was usually close, sometimes even, but even against Sam's Samwise combo deck was four Ranger of Eos main deck and, you know, a copy of Endurance and Magistrate in the sideboard, a decent bit of hate and stuff. I was able to, to go even in games. So I, I could tell, you know, maybe I was running a lot, but. I just didn't know what to play. I wanted to play a deck that was not too slow, that I could take my time to to make decisions, and that I had played a decent bit. In in hindsight, I wish we had spent a little more time testing Tron. It was clearly the kind of the the surprise of the tournament. It was doing online. It was actually we're keeping track of our online data, and it was I think the fifth best performing deck against us, and it was also. In our very small sample, like it had a, a decent win rate from our set as well. I actually really like that about the spreadsheet that was set up for the for the for the for the testing. Where if you look at the played against us tab, basically everything is losing. But if there are outliers in everything that's losing, then they should probably be listened to pretty seriously. It's just a kind of it's a way of filtering data that I, I hadn't really thought about very much before. With this kind of like, okay, yeah, so you win like seventy percent of every match in leagues or whatever. But if there's league matchups where you're losing them regularly, that's maybe that should give you pause. I just haven't thought about approaching things that way. Yeah, team handshake. Nathan Sawyer's uh, team was Javier and Simon. You know, they they the two thirds of them played Tron. They had a bunch of innovations, kind of cool innovations or. <clears throat> Play different. They had two Urza Saga in their main. They had one Talisman of Resilience. They they were only oh, one Chromatic Star and, and cutting down on Sylvan's crying down to freeze. So pretty, you know, in some way somewhat radical changes. But it does make sense if you expect Scam to be the most. Excuse me, Ragdos Evoke to be the most popular deck, right? With Duffy Voidwalker, <laughs> Chromatic Star, doesn't even cycle. But Speaking of those innovations, I think the Talisman of Resilience technology that they had is, is pretty nice. It makes sense. Like I, I like it, but I think it led to a very interesting keep in Game 5 of the semi-final between Simon Nielsen and Christian Calcano. With, uh, so this is a Tron Mirror. Yeah, a Tron Mirror with Simon on the play. Going into the deciding game, Simon actually kept a hand that did not that contained only one Tron land and no ways to search for 
extra Tron lands. I guess like the lands were Urza's, Urza's Power Plant and Urza's Saga. So like technically... The two different Urza's lands. Yeah, 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 yeah. That could be confusing, but it is not one of the three Urza's lands that we're looking for, right? Uh, although in a way you can use it to find an expedition map later and convert it into, into a tower or power plant, but uh, that's a pretty long term plan. What it seemed like to me was that Simon kept a hand that relied on using the Talisman of Resilience to ramp out a Karn, the Great Creator, on turn 3, as a way to, you know, try to win win with that, but uh, in, in a way, like, it seemed to me like the technology kind of biting him back, because it seemed, it even, it almost seems to me like he got kind of baited into keeping a hand that uh, wasn't all that good. I tried to ask that question on Twitter, uh, and uh, I got some opinions from Simon too about the hand, but they mostly amounted to a calls to authority. So it's an interesting keep that I will be thinking about for a long time. So it's two lands, talisman, kind of great creator, and then two blanks. It's the exact hand is Urza's power plant and Urza's saga as lands, talisman of yes. resilience, chromatic star. And then we have three payoff cards, the One Ring, Karn the Great Creator, and Karn Liberated. Which, given that mm. the Karn Liberated is just, there is just a single copy of Karn Liberated in the deck, and and playing in Karn Liberated is probably a, the best thing you can do in the Tron Mirror. Having that one, having, having that one copy in your hand already could be also be seen as a pretty huge uh, upside, so... I guess it makes uh, the keep harder to evaluate, but yeah, I'll be perfectly honest. When I when I voted in your poll that you made on Twitter, I definitely read Urza Saga as Urza's anything other than Power Plant. So yeah, maybe maybe Simon I, did I the same. This is a, I don't know. Maybe he did. I don't know. I think if I was looking at the cards, I wouldn't make the mistake. But if I was looking at the words and just scanning the word Urza's X, and I had to see that the X is it's X and X and and, and Y. <laughs> I was like, this is fine. This is perfect. This is exactly what I'm looking for. I mean, turn three Khan is probably, you know, Khan the Great Creator is probably one of your, your best and most reliable plays in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. It shuts it, down all their it, all their action, shuts down their rings. The issue is that... Can I see the appeal? The issue is that you, you're going to lose to like a turn three throne with that hand, which, you know, you almost always will, but if you're on the play then you have the chance to be the first one to to turn three drawn so yeah one thing that these lists don't do when they you know cut down on cards like Khan the great Khan liberated is that they don't actually have the outs to just be to end the game in the mirror on turn three when you assemble tron that's one thing that does happen the dynamics mm -hmm. no longer okay i make seven mana and i just stone rain you and you're dead uh, you'll never recover yeah that makes it interesting too there's less less actions like that it is possible that the version that version of throne is different enough that like the old assumptions that i have need to be thrown out of the window and reevaluated. it's definitely interesting and, and, and an interesting way to I, I think this is a deck that hasn't had any new tech in like 10 years basically and this is the first like really radical build i've seen on it of it since it turned up at a PDQ that I was playing in 2012. Yeah, there's been like new tech, but it's like almost always in the realm of the, of the payoff cards and like what you're yeah. ramping into. But the base of like eight chromatic, eight chromatics, seven scrying just was 
untouchable and nobody ever actually thought about yeah i just i would never think that, that, i would so never think to change it it is pretty impressive that uh they were like not you know they came up with uh a change to like such a important uh base of the deck and uh like even think to tamper with it it is pretty interesting in itself yeah uh, not only that but it also made it all the way through all the all of their teammates like f- go you know checkpoints essentially mm-hmm. and got it to the point where multiple people registered for the beating and they did well it's just yeah you don't see that happen very often for these kind of linear established decks like that i i don't think at the very least i, I think about you know you know, living end is a deck that's kind of evolved with you know recent printings and stuff like that, and obviously, like you said, there's payoffs that have come for 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 Tron with you know kind of the great creator and various different things like that. You know, they've updated their top end threats, but yeah, you know, there's not been this. You know, I don't you don't see linear linear combo decks like this get overhauled and in such a drastic way. So yeah, hats off to them. You know, for great finishes all throughout the tournament. So, yeah. So what, Gab? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there was some some little things I want to talk about as far as testing goes. One of the, Go one of the cards we're trying to kind of keep on their wrap for a while was Lord and Reveal, the Blue Land Cycler. Yeah, good luck with that. It almost it almost held up. It. it I feel like it's always this way. You're trying to keep something secret and then two weeks before the PT, it starts popping up in lists and whatnot. Uh, we were really high on the card early on. I thought the card was good. I told, you know, my teammates, we should, we should just throw four in pretty much any deck that has a bunch of violence, including team of rhinos and Edgar tried the deck. He was impressed. So we were a little disappointed when about two weeks before the PT, people started doing well with four Lorenz and rhinos. And then, sometimes in Murktide, then that blue-black deck came up, so Cat was kind of out of the bag. Yeah. You, you also had it in your in your Goryeo's Vengeance decks that no one wound up playing as well. Like this, yeah, th- that, was, that, that was, thread was an interesting one. I, I, I could barely keep track of what was happening in that. that was but there was definitely one or two Lorraine revealed. Me and a few others wanted to play. I was hoping to play that deck at the PT. It's a deck that had been online a bit, you know, Marco Vassalo, one the mox was it he actually was the only player playing it in the tournament and he went seven and three he barely missed top eight so props to him he was still playing only 21 lands with a bunch of free drops so i don't understand how he does it but uh you know i still think his list is probably a land or too short so these are the kind of the they're like half scam half gorio's vengeance for tracks of combo decks right yeah, he had Bowmaster instead of the Archaeologist, I think. I I don't know. I feel like our list was better, honestly, but we couldn't get it to beat uh, Ragda Scam. That was the, the big downside. And even against Yogg, it was, it was doing well, but it wasn't like super favored. So I kind of lost faith. If, if you're going to be an underdog against what we think is going to be the most played decks, I actually, at least want some of the other matchups to be slam dunks and... No, Yogg was pretty good. Omnath was pretty good too. Maybe, maybe we should have. I don't know. We tried a lot, and the, it was just a little too tough. There was, um, you know, our own version of Scam. I thought we did okay. You know, I was a little down at first, but 
Sam Party posted in our Discord today or, or yesterday. You know, he, he said he actually thought we did okay and constructed. You know, the, the Yagmos thing was kind of a misstep, but we had decent takes on, on Scam. You know, we, we also figured out kind of like Jake and a few others that Fable was better than Season Pyro. Uh, one of their big reasons is that season power is really bad against Bowmaster. And I was a little skeptical at first, mostly from, it was kind of a remnant of the old modern was a lot of spell pierce, you know, a lot of creativity was for spell pierce, a lot of decks like Murktide. And I just had in mind these spots where I was really hoping my opponent would play a fable because I had that spell pierce and they would just play season power and I would lose. But I guess Spell Pierce was way way less in the meta. Yeah, the winner of DPT, so Jake also out. playing for Fable, not a single season Pyromancer in his deck list. Yeah, Seth went a, f a step further. He cut uh, Ragavan from his main deck. He had two in the sideboard, I think, and he played an extra Rebirth and some some Sign in Bloods or Knights Whisper. Yeah, there was uh, definitely a kind of that more mid range kind of to win the mirror sort do? of build. I don't know how Seth did. Brent went 11 and 5. Tommy Ashton, I think Tommy played Ragvan main deck. He played a more traditional list. And I think Seth had an okay tournament. I'm not, not a big fan so... of cutting on Ragavan entirely. As, like, well, it is kind of a liability. Uh, and at sometimes it's still not utterly useless in the middle enough to, like, not be valuable against many of the other matchups that you might be facing. Although, certainly another aspect where you can see a pro tour level player just taking huge steps in deck building that many would be afraid to do uh, I was staying with the team sewer rats before before the PT and I was also observing the you know internal dynamics and deck choices in our team we only we only had only a few players who played scam here had the courage to cut down to free Ragavans, but nobody went all the way to, to cut them <laughs> entirely or move them to the sideboard. Although it yeah. was it was talked about, um, just I don't think it ever came to fruition. Yeah, I think so it's that, a pretty inbred yeah. position to you have to assume that Bowmaster is just bust just gonna be firing away the most played card and gonna get, you're gonna play against everywhere. To, to think about cutting Ragavan. And even then, like you said, it still has utility in the mirror, even though the mirror is very hostile towards Ragavan. Still the scariest card from the open on, honestly, other than, I guess, scam draws. But just adding adding to this kind of anxiety about turn one players is just a big part of that deck. You wind up mulliganing hands that you might keep otherwise because you need this interaction. You, you're just you're stressed out on turn one. It's, it attacks you on some pretty strange angles. Yeah, I think Seth was just okay with playing a little slower of a game. Yeah, certainly, yeah. Maybe scamming later in the game, you know, setting up was sign in blood and then going for the scam on turn three, something like that. I mean, we'd, we'd seen builds of scam that, that went slanted a little bit bigger previously, right? just in the lead up to the tournament at the very least. People trying to cast the one ring out of the sideboard or even in the main deck. And those are the sort of changes where you know maybe you get a cut down on, on stuff like Ragavan to make to make it happen and give yourself a you know, hopefully you give yourself an edge in the mirror in the mirror doing things like that. 
I talk a bit about rhinos. Yeah, why don't you talk us through why what what happened on in the kind of like early in the week? Because it sounds to me like you were going to play it, and then you told me you registered Living End, and uh, what happened to fall out of fall in and out of love with the deck? I was playing some games. It felt pretty good. It's funny because I've been making fun of rhinos forever, basically, and it's actually a fun deck to play. It has that fish element to it. You know, you're casting your spells at instant speed, kind of protecting your rhinos. Some counters, some cantrips, some removal, and it just kind of made sense for us looking at the meta, right? Because Team of Rhinos has a decent matchup against Ragdos Scam, you know, one of the few decks that has a decent matchup against it. So we also yeah it, it just it just kind of made sense you know and, and what we expected that we thought it, we could make it okay against yog hence the the dismembers the i think the common knowledge says that Drynos is the best deck ever against Yogmoth. i thought Sorry. the common knowledge common like uh, conception about the matchups dictates that Rhinos is actually the best deck in modern against Yogmoth. Like the bed. Yeah, that was what we thought as well. I didn't feel like it was quite as true when we were playing the game. It was a little closer than that. But they, they, we did move the list in, in that direction. We we tried Questing Beast and then ended up moving them to the main. We tried Dismember too, because I was not super happy with Fury in general, and I felt like a lot of the time, even against Yogg, uh, I would much rather have a Dismember. Part of it is that the Yogg that has way more two toughness creatures now with Halfling. Just just Halfling makes pretty d big difference, and I was even testing against Arles that had Noble or Ignoble Hierarchs. And even against a deck with Ignoble Hierarchs, Fury was still kind of eh. It was really good when you hard cast it in the mid game, but Early in the game, even like a free kill your Yogg, I would almost always rather have mm -hmm. That was actually a similar um, conclusion that most of the sewer rats came to because most of the members of that team also ended up registering Rhinos, a four-color build of them using Glorian Reveal to, to help a little bit with the mana base and splashing the making splashing Leyline Binding a bit easier. They were also discussing how they didn't really like Fury much and uh, it was pretty quickly replaced so there was no no fury in their deck at the tournament just just 10 cascade spells leyline binding and a place of subtleties oh wow no furies at all not even the sideboard i think my teammates had still two in the no sideboard. no furies in the sideboard they were also they were there at certain points uh, in testing but they didn't make it to the tournament for most of the members did they have the Dranus Magistrate? Yes, that was the that was that is where that technology originated from. The technology of uh, two Dranus Magistrates in the sideboard uh, as a plan against the Living End matchup, which traditionally is pretty bad for Rhinos. It favors Living End a good amount, and most Rhinos lists would just try to use counter magic and endurances to fight that. But it's really awkward to try to fight. Uh, another cascade deck with force of negations right because like they end up cascading on your upkeep and you're like oh well i guess i can't cast my force now and then that living and resolves and it's a huge problem so yeah that was one of my losses in the tournament i played against nico boni it was really close i almost beat the 
the cyborg plan both 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 cyborg games as one decent draw steps away from winning despite him having pretty knotted draws both both cyborg games he had turned to magistrate into cascade yeah the, so he, he naturally drew the plan the, the plan being to just remove all copies of crashing footfalls and putting dranif magistrates uh, into the deck so that you you still keep like nine or even the full 10 cascade spells and you like al- always have Dranis magistrate on free and that's a relatively tough one for a relatively tough hate bear for living in to deal with and then hopefully you can win you can win the game yeah, the fair game despite not having access to rhinos and sometimes having to play free mana tutus in the form of shardless agent to do that yeah, it was funny. In game two, he like played the first magistrate on two, and then he cast a cascade card, and he said like, "Oh, I hope I hate rhinos now." And I was like, pretty sure he's just messing with me, and he didn't have rhinos in his list. And sure enough, he he hit magistrate, and at the end of the game, I asked him, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah." Just... He was definitely so was pulling your leg. It was, it was kind of tough. Yeah, I was all salty that that I lost to Dad because. Like living in was four percent of the field, so you're you have two sideboard cards that is only good against two percent of four percent of the field. But at the same time, it has that kind of emerald against mill feel where you'll need to draw the card for it to be good. So it, it kind of makes sense to to dedicate these these two sideboard slots. Uh, the tech was actually leaked on Discord because I think one of the players was streaming. A cube draft or something and he, they misclicked or i don't know what they did and it popped up on on the discord you know and i think someone on our team was hanging out in that discord and they saw it so we actually <laughs> knew about the tech we tested it uh when we were testing four colors damn that's crazy but, um, can someone yeah, remind me that uh, what is the exact text on dranith magistrate is this sausage classing non-creature spells from... no it's it's your opponent can cast spells from anywhere but their hand right so from the rhino's side rhino's perspective like what what do you do if you're living an opponent just knows that it's up and just starts casting curator of well you're trying to use leyland yeah, binding I mean, or mystical dispute counter those those monsters play your own subtleties mm-hmm. you know you have yeah they have enough cards they have enough cards to bring in like they have subtlety they have you know nico had like yeah they had two meditate regions in the sideboard fury sideboard so uh, certainly that was my concern i was actually really afraid of that when i first seen that plan and uh, like my first reaction was like no way this is not gonna work the living and players just gonna see that and they're gonna bring all of the monsters and just attack that it's just it's just stupid you're gonna lose to like hardcore subtleties and curators but uh, it was tested pretty thoroughly like with many players i also like did help a little bit with that and uh, the deck was functional enough to to beat the curator beatdown plan with a high enough percentage uh, success. Okay. And yeah, curator is just really bad against subtlety yeah, yeah. and fury. But yeah. I, I was wondering. In hindsight, I wish I'd kind of boarded out all my living ends and stuff. But my deck, my list was not very well suited to do that because I didn't have cards like Brazen Bar in my main deck or Bone Crusher, so I didn't have. As many options as may, maybe some yeah of and you also lists. you also have to make that decision kind of on the fly and it's kind of a big decision so certainly it's a little bit scary to abandon your living end or like even go even like reduce it for example like in testing what i was trying to do was 
going down to two living ends and four violent outbursts just foregoing agent entirely because uh, just didn't, didn't want the sorcery speed one and but violent outburst was still good enough because you could do that in any opens up keep sometimes it's really strong so yeah but it's a really tough decision and uh, most living end players seeing that probably will maybe think about it but it's pretty tough to make that decision on the fly yeah, because they're also really good at protecting it because they can slow you down with ice. They have their own counters. So your window is really small. Um, as I said, I mulligan to five and six in game two and three in both games. Like one game I needed an untap land on turn three and then another game I needed my top card to be either a black card for my grief or an outburst to outburst in his upkeep. So um, yeah, that was, that was one of my loss. Um, I had a pretty fair spread of matchups. I played against Scam twice. I went one and one. I played against Omnaf twice. I was 0-2, even though Living In did okay against Omnaf in the tournament. Um, I'm not sure if every Omnaf list had the super hateful sideboard, but I ran into the you know the nine ten card sideboard, maybe more where they have a little endurance, a little chalice, a little counters, sometimes a veil, sometimes Hallowed Moonlight, and makes it just uh, really, really tough. Uh, what I was else actually I surprised with? to see the number of how many Chalice of the Voids there were in this tournament. Seems yeah, like basically almost tournament. everyone had it in their sideboard in some capacity. Yeah, why would you not? I mean, you expect Rhinos and Living In to be some of the most played decks. It's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. I guess that if you just kind of wind back to pre-Lord of the Rings, it wasn't the sort of card that you were seeing huge numbers of copies of from so many decks, I guess. I'm not so sure. I don't remember, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just not, 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 not thinking it through clearly. But I just, I was surprised to see quite just how many. It does, were. it does seem like the population of chalices has increased for this tournament slightly, at least. But yeah, so overall, your showing at the PT was pretty, pretty good, Gab. Uh, although constructed was ultimately just a five-five, so you, you could say we, you were carried by your draft skills this time. Yeah, I had pretty straightforward drafts. I had a somewhat tough pick, pack one, pick one of the tournament. I had a fairly weak pack. I ended up taking Glorious Gale, the counter over Saruman, the white, and a couple of decent black commons. My deck was kind of a weakish blue-red deck going into the third pack, and then I got three, on, three red on commons in a row, including Grishnak, which is one of the best on commons in the set. So then I had actual good cards in my deck. I never mulliganed. I drew Grishnak every game, I think. I went 306 in that draft. Draft on day two, I opened two Nazgul, got past Birthday Skate, Bath Song. So I had a great blue-black deck. Some some closer matches there, but I, I don't even feel like I... I mean, I played solid. I drafted okay, you know, but it was kind of these drafts, especially the second one where it, the, the seat, it, you're just in the right seat and the packs kind of draft themselves. Uh, constructed, you said five and five. I got a couple of wins against Teamer Rhinos. Fairly easy matchup. I actually beat Kai in the future on day two. And then he went on to win out his last three rounds. And I only went one and two. So he, he made top in and I didn't. Um, I beat Yawk twice. I actually played against Zerk. Very first round of Constructed mm. in the future. That was cool. But also, um, 
you know, I felt like it was a little unlucky for me in some ways to get paired against one of the best modern players in the world playing. Uh, Yogg was, he even had two endurance in the main deck, but uh, we had a, a pretty sick match. You know, I had some really good draws and in, in all three games, honestly, that he had that, that sick, sick sequence in game two where mm. he had Yogg and two, co- and two other creatures in play and he needed to do exactly green card plus endurance in response to my living end and, and he did and I, I didn't know it at the time I mean I knew I'd seen his hand on like turn one or two I think turn one but uh, I didn't know he, he did have either before he started mm. drawing cards of the ox so that was kind of he, a cool moment from the coverage yeah, side he, it was he, great because he drew the green card and then he had to draw the draw the endurance yeah, he kept a very very stoic very poker face throughout all of this not giving like yeah, anything incredible. anything away very almost emotionless yeah not even an eyebrow rise or nothing it was yeah i went back and watched the clip and people were like oh what were you thinking and i was like eh you know i was probably thinking just oh good beats i hope i win game three and, <laughs> yeah and there's an interesting thought piece you had or grief you had early in the game as well where you he showed i guess it, it was you on the play and he showed you young wolf no, young wolf yogmoth he was on the play and he showed you young wolf yogmoth on yeah so he, yeah, it was funny because I was torturing myself. He went turn one goose. I griefed him. I had the choice between young wolf or yog. I took the young wolf. My reasoning was it enables it enables him to to find uh, an endurance via court pretty fast. Mm-hmm. It enables a lot of his things. He has a lot of access to yog. And the other thing is, I'm not super familiar with the yog deck, but I was thinking if I take the yog and he casts the young wolf when I'm living in, he's gonna get back the yog, get back down dying one. Young Wolf, and maybe, you know, if he draws a decent card or two, he can just combo me even after a living end. So I took the Young Wolf. I lost the game because I took the Young Wolf. I believe if I had just taken Yogg, I would have maybe won that game. So I was kind of torturing myself during the match, which is never great. But then I thought about it some more. I was like, I oh, don't know, maybe it was right. And, you know, I did my classic thing where I'm like, oh, I made a mistake when I had made that right play. And then I asked him after the match, and he said he, he thought taking the Young Wolf was, was the right play as well. Yeah, I, I certainly, yeah, I understood your reasoning, and I was pretty sure I was with you at the, at, the, at that moment in time. But it was just the way it, the way it panned out made it look look a bit weird. But it was it was certainly very very close when he showed you the hand, and requires thinking. Yeah. yeah, cutting cutting down on his ability to just draw court of calling and have that go directly get endurance is pretty important because it's yeah the other ways yeah. of getting it are less. Yeah, I mean if yeah it's got like Eldritch Evolution. Eldritch Evolution, sorry, is a, uh, you know, it's obviously sorcery speed and things like that. I don't even know that's, if that's in his deck, but yeah, and I, I like your reasoning as well of you know having Yog in the graveyard is bad news for you. I also have a few questions about about in. your decklist from the tournament, Gab, because you did have a few small innovations. You have you you played fifteen lands total with one gemstone caverns. How was that for you? It's a pretty common tech in in rhinos, but it's been pretty slow or like to be adopted in living end or maybe like doesn't even show up much so how how did that work out for you yeah i've never seen it it actually i didn't test it someone i think it was maybe Ely. someone suggested it, it was like why aren't you playing gems and i'm like i don't know <laughs> i don't so know i just put it in literally my two hours before dex <laughs> yeah two hours before decklist submission i was just gold fishing i was just taking seven card hands and a few draw steps to try to see if the gemstone cavern was looking good or not <laughs> I mean, Good I didn't know what else to do. I was doing that, and I was also doing the 
trying to figure out if I wanted a free waker one subtlety split or two and two split. So I was kind of frantically taking test draws and I don't know, it seemed kind of okay. It makes sense, right? People play a bunch in rhinos, why not in living? And the reasoning is that you're not in a super rush. You're, you're kind of happy with the pace of cycling turn one, cycling turn two, and then casting living turn three. And the, the extra card can kind of hurt you and you have a lot of pitch cards, so you need the extra card, but the cost is cost seems pretty well, low. I think, I think the argument previously was overall. that a colorless land, if you ever drew it outside of your opening hand, was really bad previously, but now with the land cyclers, it's much easier to utilize it, so it makes more sense now yeah. than, than before. That, that's, a, that's a great point, and I also like that it was kind of elegant was the Bosejou in the sideboard. You usually don't need Bosejou main deck. Sure, sometimes hitting a binding or whatnot could be nice, or maybe against Tron, but it's more of a sideboard card. So then you have this little nice swap where you swap Cavern for Bosejou when you're on the play. And uh, yeah, it was really good for me in the last round on the tournament, my very last game of the tournament. I had a just perfect hand against Team of Rhinos where I had the Gemstone, I had the Grief, and I had the turn free outburst in their upkeep so they could encounter. I even had a subtlety just in case they had endurance. They didn't have endurance, but yeah, I was basically hell bent on turn free. It was turn turn one Jensen Cavern. So yeah, beat two rhinos, beat team or twice, beat Tragus once. I lost to J I lost to Jake Beardsley. Um you know, it's kind of a rough ending for me. I went free in the draft, so I was nine and two. I needed to go free two or better in the last five rounds of constructed. Lost the first one to Omnath. And then I, I beat Kai, I lost to Beardsley in round 14. And then I had my toughest match in the tournament against Hayne in round 15. And I, I, I played bad, I think. I made the classic mistake that I've made with so many decks before is trying to fight, uh, especially when they keep seven card hands, trying to fight them on maps and scrying. And I, both game one and three, I forced a map and it's crying. And I think I might have honestly won all three games yep. uh, if I played better. So that was that was kind of a bummer. Same thing happened to Kai in the finals, actually, against Calcano. At least game one, you know, he just he just fired off on on map and fired off on 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 Sylvan scrying, and Calc just has one. Yeah, you know, just their threats are four mana spells now, so they kind of like just get there eventually. It's not saying it's wrong or right. I just yeah, you know, it, it happens more often than not and you know historically i've you know kind of trained myself out of fighting fighting against those cards with my with with kind of tempo decks i yeah, I, yeah so yeah you, you respond i, I kind of want to talk about gemstone caverns a little bit more just a little bit but we can talk about it later it's fine yeah maybe i got a little irrationally scared of a fast worm call engine i was thinking oh if i don't force the map he assembles strong fast and then my force doesn't really work in worm call engine but yeah I'm not even sure him playing Wormcall Engine and then getting the two tokens when I'm living in is enough to stop if I have a decent sized living in. Because if I don't pitch that blue card, I have an extra cycler in the yard, maybe I draw more cycling. And um, yeah, I mean, it just showed my no matter how much, uh, you know, I've played a ton of living in in the past, but I haven't played it that much recently. And maybe it, it just, you know, I, I paid, uh, paid the price of not knowing the deck well enough. All right, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one question about Gemstone Caverns. Uh, more decks should more decks be playing it? I I was just thinking about it with the One Ring. 
that's a, we've we've kind of gone through this you know thought process of one ring draws lots of cards therefore force of negations and subtleties are now really things you want to be you want to make that are desirable you know it obviously makes zero mana cards better are we able to build decks with more gemstone cabins in them now that contain the one ring and cast it earlier and impact the board earlier i mean if we think about that blue black deck just thinking through the lens of that deck that deck really struggles if your opponent gets ahead on board it's a great way of not getting falling behind on board it makes counter spell better in the games that you have the luck counter on I, obviously it's like yeah much i think the big don't. part of but that because lorian revealed as well like you make, you i think a, a big point. part of that card is the ability to utilize colorless mana and uh, if you're able to do so then mm-hmm. It seems pretty good and maybe actively great to play in many decks. If you if it's like a blank when you're on the play, like it would be in the blue black deck, not tapping for counter spell, not mm. tapping for like Archimedes Charm if you play that, not tapping for really anything seems seems really bad to me. But uh, notably, there is another Gemson Caverns deck in the top eight of the Pro Tour, namely. Dom Harvey playing 61 cards, perhaps the 61st card being the one copy of Gemstone oh, Caverns in, in his Amulet Titan deck. You can just imagine that every card in the deck is the 61st card. That's the yeah. best bit. Anything you disagree with, that was probably the 61st card. Yeah, like well, Dom actually played 61 and he had a Gemstone Caverns in his deck. And yeah. it makes sense in Amulet, right? Because his deck was a four copies of the One Ring deck. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly that is a nice combination that, that does uh, come up although Gemstone Caverns plus Seeming Grove Chamber may be slightly less of an exciting one as you reset your luck counter and you become luckless again yeah we were pretty high on that card I know there was a point in testing where we said we should have at least one Gemstone Cavern in every sideboard and I guess that didn't hold up for every deck. I know I talked to Sam Party about it. He said he tried it in the Samwise deck and it was not that exciting. Another um, deck that doesn't utilize colorless mana very well. Also, he did feel like he didn't really need the, the acceleration. And yeah, it, it does use extremely poorly if you draw it after after opening hand. I, mean, I guess the, the, the reasoning was like, it's too good when you have it in the opening hand and it's worth the cost. And yeah. you should have at least one in every sideboard deck. Yeah. And the new Mulligan rule changes changes the, its dynamic so significantly as well you're kind of if you if you do take mulligans in those games that like you see the seventh card you see it more often it's the same logic that you know that I, i've seen you applying to copies of ley lines where you know that kind of that fundamental kind of idea that this is a four of or a zero of is completely you know has gone out the window you can see any number of ley lines now and it's it makes sense and the mulligan rule change is a big part of that i think like singular ley lines made perfect sense with previous mulligan too so i don't think that's a strong argument but yeah gemstone caverns works I'm works not, better I, i'm not saying that people were people were i'm not saying that people were wrong to do it before i think that there's such a popular consensus was previously that this is these are four ofs or zero ofs and people have become more open to the idea of doing things like that now that the mulligan rule has changed yeah with gemstone caverns specifically if you if you for example draw a six card hand you have to put something back and you like just like your hand otherwise and has a get ca- good care you could just put the games on governance on the bottom of your deck if you like are not mm-hmm. willing to excel an extra one to to get it into play immediately so it works nicely with the london mulligan that's true 
So how many did, how many were in the Rhinos deck list that people played? I think the starkest two main one sideboard. Right. Okay. And spe- speaking of colorless lands, I was hoping. I think it was Ely Cassis who suggested Mutavolt in the Rhinos list, and it's also Wizard for Flame of Anar that. Uh, you know, that, my teammates played in their sideboard, so I was break, really I breakout card of the tournament. It's a great card, um, it, it can help you against the fairy. It's, it's also a rhino. Two points of damage you're missing. Great <laughs> for a, for your rhinos, deck, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I think I would if I was to play team of rhinos, I'd probably cut. I don't know these gems and Cameron they don't look that good very often. Maybe it was because I was watching Kai's match and he's. He's the unluckiest. Ever, and he was always drawing two uh, gemstone caverns. Sick but, um, yeah, I would try maybe cutting one of these caverns for Mutavolt. Maybe, maybe even a couple get a little spicy. Not sure. But uh, I thought it was a cool idea anyways. But, yeah, I had a good tournament. I had some pretty sick games. I had a game against Jim Davis. Game one, he was playing Yogg. He mulligans to five. I have a great opening hand. I draw my first living end, perfect, pitch it to grief. And then I just draw two more living ends before I can draw a cascade spell. Um, so I keep playing for a bit. End of his turn, I go for an outburst, kind of slow, you know, kind of pausing a bit and then slowly flipping, hoping he would scoop. But that that didn't work out. I, I thought I ran a little bad, like just drawing lots of living end in general. But you, you did make the decision to I, play I, only three copies of living end. Yeah, I feel like the four living in is is good when there's a lot of counter spells main deck and decks like Murktide. I think that was the big one of the big reasons was Murktide was the most popular deck, and then maybe you draw one and the counter the first two, and you actually yeah, need it's the, it's the, the best the when you need to form. cascade multiple times, which which is against counter magic. That is a good point. So given your expected meta game, it does make if you expected less counter counter magic, which it seems like you did, it makes sense to trim on that. Yeah, no, honestly, I wasn't thrilled about my deck choice, but as far as the list, I thought I was, I thought I, you know, had had, had a pretty, pretty decent list. Um, so, some of the things I would like to try right now would be Anger of the Gods in the sideboard. I know you were making fun of me this afternoon, and it's, historically, it's a card I hate, but I feel like it does line up really well against Scam. It gets rid of a Free Toughness Grief, it gets rid of Voidwalker, and... They can't bring it back. It might be decent against that magistrate plan. It was also, you know, there was very little hammer, 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 very little, low, very, you know, low, low representation of hammer. Not, not very well yes. represented. Yeah, but it, it it did it did quite well, and they typically have four four magistrate up for sideboards. Um, Merfolk winning his deck in the tournament one mm. player Aiden. I, I don't think anger helps you much the... against Vodalian Hexcatcher which is probably one of the biggest issues in the Merfolk deck right now so I, I think it's yeah, it's true. pretty low low value card here I, I did make fun of it when I see seen you play it on your stream today you know that was just my initial gut reaction when once you start explaining it a little bit more it uh, makes a bit more sense it is just odd to see those like old time cards sometimes showing up when people are trying to solve specific problems with them in the deck lists nowadays it is for the most part the case that uh, 
MH2 cards and like other, let's say, fire fire design era cards are powerful enough and capable of solving most of the problems that that you could uh, encounter. So that it's always feels a little bit weird to try to come back to those like old uh, wonky solutions like Anger of the Gods, while a combination of uh, MH2 elementals in some way will typically get the job done but uh, it's an interesting piece of technology and uh, it does line up well against the double magistrate plan so i will give you that <laughs> yeah if they have the second one it's really good yeah um yeah uh yeah as i was saying as you know, we didn't we didn't have something that really stood out in testing, so just relied on kind of good old trusty and if you know five five is is not not the best but not the worst. Uh, if I win that match against Hain, it's six four sixty percent win rate, which which is honorable. Living and didn't end up doing super well. I think slightly below fifty percent, and yeah, I mean, I guess the the, the story of the tournament is Rhinos uh, doing really well. Uh, Tron scam doing really well despite being expected you know everyone had had scam as their pretty much top expected mm -hmm. deck and it still had a, a high win rate 54 percent um you know obviously people are talking about oh should anything be changed with modern i don't think so i think modern is in a good spot and you should at least give you know people a few months maybe one more cycle of High-level tournaments to uh, you know qualifiers and whatnot to to see if people. Well, we do out. have the fixed ban list update schedule right now, right? With the first announcement coming in a week, right? Next Monday, I believe it's seventh of seventh uh, of August. Yes, it's next Monday. So that certainly drives discussion and, and makes people think about it, and uh, certainly. There are some cards that were played in pretty high numbers at the PT, but uh, personally, I would be slightly surprised if, if there's going to be like any changes to to modern at this time. The only thing that would make it not weird is the fact that if we only have one yearly update, then it's kind of, and this is the first one of them, it's kind of weird not to not to use it to do something right because like you kind of make a big deal of making the schedule to happen once per year and then you're like yeah no changes that's maybe slightly awkward in, in some sense so uh, that's probably what drives some talk seems the popular yeah. consensus online is to say that they're going to use it to unban some mm. things are we the sort of podcast that devolves into rampant speculation or are we the type of podcast that devolves into life on the line yeah i think i think we, we, we might be ready to i don't know i had a few more stories about the pt i guess but, uh, th th those i'm willing right, to what, what is the funnest right, what's the most this, funny thing that happened to you this weekend gab you might already know if you're watching this afternoon but i, I had a really cool story i was i was hanging out in the lobby on thursday and this guy walks in and he comes and says hi to me then he tells me he's like a big fan. His name is Jacob and he kind of flies by, you know, he was, he looked like he was in a rush and I'm like, this guy looks so familiar, but I don't know why. 
So I, so I turn around, think Reed was there. I'm like, why does he look so familiar? And Reed just kind of shrugs and, you know, I'm like, oh, well. And then Saturday, there was that really cool uh, party that uh, Wizards organized uh, at the Go Beach Club in Barcelona. There was the Elijah Wood, who's the actor who plays Frodo, who was DJing for a bit. Uh, the place was was pretty full. It was good, you know, pretty pretty good time. I had, I had a really good time. I got there a little late, but um, it was fun. And around one a.m., I'm just standing there hanging out, and the same guy comes and says hi again. And I'm like, this time I'm like, what? I, I ask him, why do I? Why do you look so familiar? And he's he just goes, oh, I'm 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 Hawk I'm Hawk in Cobra Kai. I don't know if you guys have seen that show, but. He's the actor who, who plays Hawk. I'm like, oh, I've actually watched all of the show. I really like that show. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my 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 favorite story of the weekend, I guess, the highlight of my weekend. Right, getting recognized by a celebrity and you not recognizing them, but your subconscious recognizing them. That's great. No, just recognize, just meeting. You know, it's not every day that you meet a Hollywood star. So I just mm-hmm. thought it was really cool. Apparently he plays a ton of magic. He was here was... His girlfriend, who's also one of the main characters in, in the show, who apparently also plays a tiny bit of magic. Um, cool. So, it see, seems like you are the real celebrity yeah. then. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think we're both. It was kind of that spot where we're probably both like maybe starstruck. I don't know, you know, how he felt, but I was definitely, uh, you know, definitely starstruck. And um, there's also a fun fun Kai story, kind of a surreal Kai story where after on Sunday evening, he's going back to, to his hotel. He actually booked for the wrong convention center because there's two convention centers that have the same in Barcelona. So he's, you know, further away and he's walking and this guy stops him, stops it on the street, you know, and he's like, oh, are you the magic player Kai? And he goes, yeah. And Kai just asks him because he, he, you know, he assumes the guy's just here for the magic con. So he asks him, oh, were you here for the, for the magic event? And the guy goes like, oh no, I've just been living here on the street for the past thirty years. I just recognize you from coverage and GPs and stuff from fifteen years ago. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Just kind, kind, kind of weird. Uh, I thought it was a cool story. No, that's that's pretty cool funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah. It sounds like an it sounds like the event was excellent overall. Yeah, so. no, it was great. I really love having the pro tours during the Magic Cons. I think everyone does. The production was great. The the side events looks like you know were great. The, the you know we had the the Ultimate Guard booth that was hosting the the coverage for French, English, Spanish, and Italian. I stopped by a bit for, to, to say hi to the French coverage. Um, Barcelona is a great city. And yeah, I honestly can't wait for the next one. Next one's Worlds in Vegas too. So no, I, I love these events. It's, yeah. it's really cool. It, it gives it a good energy. And you, you know, you still have the, the pro tour. It still feels like the pro tour, but you have more people coming and say hi. I, you know, signed a ton of cars and playing mats and took a bunch of selfies uh, at the site, was drunk and people at the party. No, it's great. I time. certainly had a good time at the event too, despite uh, not getting to participate in the main attraction itself. It, it was pretty cool to hang out and play play the Secret Lair Showdowns. Did no, I did man? not. 
Did you want to react, man? Okay. Damn. Uh, so. Yeah, and I, I enjoyed watching. Yeah, cer- certainly, fun. certainly, I'll be there for the Ch- Chicago one next uh, next year. Chicago has like the biggest Polish population in the U.S. or something like that. So, like, if I don't qualify there, then it would just wouldn't make sense. I was um, I've been to Chicago a few times, and I spent a long time in in like the little Poland, the Polish district. This is good food. All right. Should we put our yes. lives on the line? Let's go. Are you going to run it back, Gab? Living end? I was thinking about it. I played a prelim today. I went 1-2 and got the bye. Mm. So it's not the greatest showing. The feeling? But, you know, maybe maybe if people try to fit in these anti-big mana deck cards, you know, crumble to dust and alpine moon and start trimming a little bit on the graveyard hit here and there. I could see living in, but I guess if I had to put my life on the line, I would probably just go with Team of Rhinos with one Mute of Alt. Solid. In my case, I would choose to go with Ragdos Midrange or Ragdos Scam or Ragdos Evoke. So choose, I will choose from between those three decks and uh, being impressed by the fact that it maintains such a high win rate at the PT despite being on the forefront of everybody's mind yeah. just just makes me trust this deck's power and uh, I would pick it because of that. I'm in absolutely yeah. agree. I'm in agreement. I will be, I'm teaching myself scam this week. That's my, my task. Do you guys know that I've never played a deck a single game with scam, I think? It sounds like you're testing with Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah that's why you have teammates, right? Yeah. It, it would be interesting to have the win rate of the Ragdos list that were playing four Fable and then the Ragdos list that were playing, you know, whatever, four Pyro or to see if yeah. there's like a meaningful difference. But uh, yeah, all right. Well, I guess I'll be winning that matchup at least favored against my my co-casters yeah that's right that's really what matters um, but you can't do the cast anymore if this tournament actually goes through yeah that's true Damn. well, well. <laughs> if you made it this far as always thank you so much for listening uh we hope you enjoyed the the episode canister where can we find canister it? you can you can go to the website called x and search for an account named canister underscore mtg (laughs) (laughs) or you can Uh, you can go to twitch.tv slash canister underscore mtg what about you pat you can find me on anywhere on the internet as get underscore smart you can also find me on x at gamnesy on twitch twitch.tv slash yellowhead i think i'm gonna be playing explorer there's the arena qualifier in in ten days. Are you gonna try a bit of that canister or still no no arena? No, never arena. Yeah. Say strong. <laughs>